state lawmakers returned to the Capitol this week as the months-long legislative session gets underway. Politicians have a list of priorities to get through and a budget surplus to do it. What should Texans expect to happen? This is Listen in Lubbock. For Texas Tech Public Media, this is Listen in Lubbock. I'm your host, Sarah self Walbrick. It's once again time for the Texas legislature to reconvene. Their to-do list includes property taxes, gun control, and the power grid, along with other points. Lawmakers are also working with a multi-billion dollar budget surplus. It's shaping up to be a really interesting legislative session. Sergio Martinez-Beltran with NPR's Texas Newsroom will cover the session. He joins us to talk about what he's expecting. Thanks for coming on the show, Sergio. Thank you for having me. So this will be your first Texas legislative session. We are so lucky to have you down in Austin. What are your thoughts as you get started? Well, thanks for being always so kind, Sarah. I I really appreciate it. You know, I'm super excited for the session to start. Um, I've covered the legislature in other states like uh, Michigan and Tennessee, but this is my first time here in Texas. And I'm just amazed at the fact that the legislature here only meets every odd numbered year. I'm also interested, you know, in seeing what Democrats can do since they are in the minority and also looking forward to see what Republicans are going to try to do with the state surplus and with all the resources that we have here. I think having that perspective from other states is really going to benefit the rest of us as we listen to your coverage over the next few months. I want to start this conversation with an explanation. I fully understand that most Texans don't follow the legislative session as closely as we do. So for someone who is maybe new to keeping up with this, which includes you, how does this legislative session work? So that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's important to start with the fact that the Texas legislature's regular session starts on the second Tuesday of January and it lasts 140 days. During the first 60 days, it's kind of slow because lawmakers are filing some of the bills they want. Uh, And, you know, this is the time when lawmakers are trying to find either a companion bill or a co-sponsor to their bill. So if I'm filing a bill in the House, I'm trying to get a senator to also sponsor my bill so it can be carried in that other chamber. And once we pass this period, the bills uh, then start going through the committee process. This means that they're going to be start being debated in a smallish setting. And then if it's approved, If the legislation is approved, it can either move to another committee or to the floor uh, of the chamber for a full vote. If a bill passes one chamber, it goes to the other chamber for approval. And and sometimes both the Senate and the House negotiate some things on the specific bill before a final vote. And then it goes to the governor for his signature. And then, you know, Governor Abbott can decide either to sign it into law to allow the bill to become law without his signature or to veto it. But I want to go back to this period of the first 60 days of the legislative session because our listeners should not be surprised if it sounds or it feels kind of slow because truly lawmakers, either even though they can file any bill, they cannot debate on the floor any bills that have not been deemed an emergency 
emergency or a priority item for the governor. So, you know, those first 60 days, they're pretty contained. Once that period is over, then the lawmakers start moving forward uh, with other important bills. And I know this is a super quick summary right now, but I hope you get the gist of it. There's a lot of negotiations. There's a lot of drama, a lot of back and forth and all of the fun stuff that truly makes us all political reporters geek out. So as you said, a lot of the first 60 days of the session is filing bills, but lawmakers have already started doing some of that even before they return to the Capitol. So how many bills have been filed so far and how many of those will actually see the light of day? So over 1,600 bills have already been filed. Many of them were pre-filed late last year. But, you know, truly, even though we have already thousands of them, over a thousand of them in the system, just a fraction of those move forward into the committee setting. And even a smaller number of those bills are signed into law by the, by the governor. NPR reporters across the state will contribute to legislative coverage as well, like us here at Texas Tech Public Media. Some of the topics I'm covering are rural health care and broadband access. Tell us more about the Texas Newsroom's coverage strategy this session and how we're all going to work together. So at the Texas Newsroom, we have decided to focus on four areas of coverage. One of them is the culture wars and their impact on Texans. You know, we're thinking about abortion and LGBTQ issues, for example. We're also looking at property taxes because we've heard that that's one of the priorities of the Republican majority in the legislature. We're also thinking about school vouchers which is one of those big topics that is controversial even among the Republican majority. And it's something that could have a, a significant impact in the lives of many folks here. Of course, we are focusing on immigration and border security and also on the energy grid. We'll get into all of these a little bit later in the show. The priorities set by Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick last year guide legislation in the Senate. Sergio, before the break, can you list those for us? Sure. And, you know, the, the priorities of the lieutenant governor and the priorities of the Speaker of the House State Feeling and of the governor are also going to guide in part our coverage, right? Uh, you know, at the top of the list of priorities of lieutenant governor is property tax relief. We talked about it a minute ago, but it's something that he said it's super important. And he said he wants to use the state surplus actually to figure out a way to help Texas homeowners. Lieutenant governor also talked about the importance of improving the state's electric grid. He has signaled he's willing to put his foot down on this issue. As you all may recall, in February of 2021, the winter storm severely affected the state's electric grid stability and it caused widespread deadly blackout. So Patrick says the state could incentivize or even build natural gas plants across the state with some of this surplus. We'll talk about these more in just a few seconds. Stick with us. This is Listen in Lubbock and I'm Sarah Self-Walbrick. The Texas legislature is in session and is expected to take on big challenges over the next few months. Sergio Martinez Beltran will be covering things for the Texas Newsroom, which is a collaboration between NPR stations. Before the break, Sergio listed the priorities lawmakers will look at this year. Let's dig into those a little more. One issue you followed closely is border security. What do you expect to happen on that front? Border security is an issue that Governor Greg Abbott and other top Republicans ran during the 2022 election. And the legislature, you know, has actually been 
finding ways to help with this cause, right? To help the governor with this issue. And last year, we saw the legislature actually shifting some money to continue funding Operation Lone Star, which is the governor's border security initiative. Through Operation Lone Star, we have seen the state deploying thousands of state National Guard troops, as well as state troopers. And that costs a lot of money, Sarah. And, you know, many experts have actually questioned the real impact of this initiative. But I think it's expected to see the legislature, particularly Republicans, pushing for the shifting of additional funds to this issue. And of course, this is a very political issue as well. And I think it's important to keep in mind that when the legislature makes these types of decision of shifting money for this type of operation, they're also trying to send a message to the Biden administration and to Congress that Texas has had to absorb all these costs because of their inaction in D.C. Another issue that involves law enforcement is action after the school shooting in Uvalde. Sergio, this is a story that you've followed closely. What legislation could come in reaction to that tragedy? Unfortunately, for many who have been following this issue, particularly parents and family members of those victims, not a lot will happen, I think. You know, we, we've heard from Democrats who have said they'd like to increase the minimum age to purchase a semi-automatic rifle. That's the type of firearm that was used by the 18-year-old gunman in Uvalde. And that is a piece of legislation or a policy item that not only Democrats agree on, but also the parents and the family members of the victims of the Ovalle shooting, right? They This is the one piece of legislation that they think it's very tangible and it's, it's possible. However, that piece of legislation is also a no-go for Republicans. The governor and other Republican leaders have claimed it would be unconstitutional to raise the minimum age and that it would actually not prevent school shootings. So again, it's unlikely that we will have legislation targeting gun safety. However, we could see some legislation addressing what Republicans call hardening of schools, which is making buildings safer and ensuring that the technology needed to prevent a school shooter from potentially coming in or continuing the rampage is in place among schools across the state. I think we'll see education issues get a lot of attention this session. One that I heard about a lot in the months leading up to the session is school choice or voucher programs, which is a term used to describe programs that give parents state money to send their kids to school outside of the state's public education system. Many rural advocates were concerned with how this could affect West Texas, where in many communities there is just one public school option. But at the Texas Tribune's recent Future of Rural Texas Symposium that was here in Lubbock, this didn't seem to have much momentum with the lawmakers who were there when they were asked. A lot of, I think all of them said that they were opposed to this. So we'll see where those conversations go as we really get into things this session. Sergio, other than school safety, what education topics are you following? I think I think you're right. I think this is one of the biggest issues, school choice. You know, it will be definitely discussed this year. I do think that the chances of school choice or school vouchers, right, of, of becoming the law of the state are a little bit complicated. You know, it's a multi-layer discussion. 
you know, we've seen it played out in other states and, and it's not easy. I covered this particular discussion on school vouchers in Tennessee and we saw many rural communities in the state of Tennessee reject this idea of school vouchers or school choice in part because they see it as a threat to their public education system and quite frankly to their jobs because in many rural counties the school district is the biggest employer. So I think these discussions and these concerns from Republicans in a state like Tennessee or in a state like Arizona that also passed uh, school vouchers at some point are some of the same concerns that we're going to see among Republicans in the state of Texas. I actually interviewed Senator Robert Nichols uh, from Jacksonville a few a few months ago, and uh, he was telling me that, you know, school vouchers for him are a no-go. And I asked him, you know, what, what can the state do? Like, what could be an area of compromise for him and the governor if the governor were to push hard on this issue? And he said, to do what we're doing now. And I asked, what is that? And he said, not having school vouchers. And I think that's the sentiment that many Republicans in the state are going to have. And again, it's unclear whether school vouchers are going to pass or are actually going to be seriously discussed in the state. Uh, but I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. The state's power grid is another priority. The 2021 blackout that affected millions across the state happened right before the start of the last legislative session. What did lawmakers do about the grid two years ago and what could they do now? So I think two years ago, the legislature really tried to fix the grid. And we've seen some of those fixes actually work in a way. I mean, over the summer, we saw the heat waves that affected the whole state and there were not rolling blackouts. We also saw the temperatures drop during this this winter. And again, there was not statewide blackouts. So the governor, we have heard him point out at these two events that we had this past year and when we saw him say this is an example how the grid has been fixed. I do think, though, that we have a lot of concerns and lawmakers have a lot of concerns still on how stable the grid is. And we've heard the lieutenant governor, uh, Dan Patrick, talk about what he wants to do, again, as part of his priorities, what some of the things that he would like to do. And among those priorities are making sure we can continue improving the electric grid in the state. The power grid is something that affects so many Texans, as is the next topic I want to talk through, property taxes. This is something that's always on priority lists every single year, it feels like. What are lawmakers looking at this time? It's always, always, always on the priority list. You're right. And I think that uh, the difference this time around is that we have an unprecedented budget surplus. And uh, it is so high at this point that truly, you know, the sky's the limit. People are thinking that we need to use part of this money. So what are the best opportunities here? And Republicans see property taxes they are looking at it in different ways. I've heard some Republicans who have talked about, you know, potentially buying down what's called the school maintenance and operation property taxes. And again, in order to do this, you would only use, they claim, not all the surplus, but just a couple of billions of dollars to ensure that that's buy down. We've also heard the lieutenant governor talking about increasing the homestead exemption that was already increased last year, but he would like to increase it a little bit more. So these are some of the strategies that Republicans are thinking about. And again, a lot of these policy initiatives could only be possible by using part of this uh, surplus that we have. 
And explain that surplus to us a little bit more. How did we end up with that? And are there any parameters on how it can be used? How did we end up with that? that that's a great question. And uh, I think there's three words to, to explain it. And it's inflation, inflation, and inflation. You know, the state, as the country has seen a high inflation, and uh, we in Texas have seen increasing revenue due to sales tax. So, you know, important to, to think about it this way because it helps me when I think about it this basic. It's that inflation makes things cost more. So when people purchase goods and there's an inflation, they're paying more, which means the sales tax they're paying is a little higher, right? So that's the way the state has been able to amass over $30 billion extra. Again, there are many, many, many wish lists out there from property taxes from you know to funding education which is something that some progressive groups would like to building infrastructure and more again the sky's the limit for lawmakers when they see this big surplus but there's an important caveat here the state can only spend so much of it so there's a spending cap in texas which means that they cannot spend the whole surplus on these issues. So that's also something that it's going to play a role, an important role during the legislative session when they start realizing that we have a lot of things we want to do, but we only have a limited number of billions of dollars that we can actually use to address these issues. That's going to be such an interesting aspect to follow over the next few months. It's time for another break. We'll be right back with more of this conversation about the Texas legislative session. You're tuned in to Listen in Lubbock. I'm Sarah Self-Wall-Brick. The Texas legislature will consider issues like property taxes, school safety, and border security this session. Those are just some of the topics Sergio Martinez-Beltran from the Texas Newsroom will be following over the next few months. Another will be maternal health. Last legislative session, a restrictive abortion law was passed. The overturning of Roe v. Wade last summer further affected this issue. And now, the procedure is unavailable in the state unless it's a medical emergency, though there have been reports that suggest that it's complicated. So, Sergio, what have lawmakers talked about on this front? So, I think the biggest issue that they've been discussing is whether there's a way to provide an exemption or create an exemption to rape and incest in the state's abortion bans. And and truly, that is something that Democrats and progressive groups and pro-choice groups have been pushing for, especially because they've seen and we the state has seen a big number of, of truly of victims of rape and incest going into the hospitals and trying to carry either uh, uh, one of these pregnancies to term, but also, you know, in, in distress and, and going through through really hard periods of their life. So this is an issue that many Republicans have had to confront, right? Again, Senator Robert Nichols, who I talked about earlier in the show, who is from Jacksonville, a few months ago, he did say he would be supportive of an exemption to rape and incest on the state's abortion ban. And he did talk about how he has talked to the women in his family and that he felt that we as a state needed to better support women. And this is a way to do it. However, Senator Nichols, 
would not be sponsoring this bill. So it's one of those things where he says he would support it, but he would not be willing to put his name out there and, and carrying this bill. And the reality is that for anything to pass or for most things, especially these important things to pass in the Texas legislature, you need the Republican support. So this is not only a thing that Democrats can do. You need Republicans on board. And it, it seems like that's not going to happen, even though, again, leadership from, from both chambers have said that there has been some Republican interest in, in addressing this issue. The other issue regarding to um, abortion that we're going to see is this idea of abortion pills. There was a recent Department of Justice opinion that says that it is legal to send abortion pills via the U.S. Postal Service to states where abortion is legal. Now, in Texas, abortion is not legal, which means that sending abortion pills to Texas women might not be legal. And I think, though, that we've heard from some anti-abortion groups that have said that they are concerned about doctors or medical providers providers in other countries sending abortion pills or abortion medication to Texas women and that it's really hard to prevent that from happening or to go after after these medical providers who are abroad. And so uh, I would not be surprised if the legislature tries to tackle this issue via legislation uh, that would make it make it harder or, you know, increase punishments for these folks who are, who are doing this. We also saw several bills targeting LGBT plus Texans last session. Sir, he what are we expecting to happen this time? I think we're expecting for it to happen again, right? We are expecting and we've already seen, uh, quite frankly, some bills of uh, Republican lawmakers who are going after uh, trans kids who are also going against teaching or talking about LGBT issues in schools. So I think what we're going to see is even more restrictions from the Republican Party in terms of LGBTQ issues and again, particularly trans kids. LGBT plus issues are one thing that led to some contentious division between parties last session. Intense partisanship is, of course, something we're seeing in all levels of government across the country right now. How are the relations between Republicans and Democrats looking right now at the beginning of the session? That's a great question. I think, you know, when the legislature goes back into session, it's almost when you go back to school. Do you remember those days when you went back to school, you saw your friends and your foes, and but you were happy to be back and it was great because you were in a break. And then the first two weeks happen and you're still in a good mood, but then the third week happens and then things get sour, right? So I think it's pretty similar uh, in the legislature. Um, I think the first few weeks, you know, the mood is going to be very light. Um, there's going to be, you know, this, I, I think with every legislative session, the first few days also provide a little bit of hope because you see some attempts to genuinely understand each other and for lawmakers to actually collaborate on bills. But then, you know, we start seeing these big issues like LGBT issues, like abortion, which, you know, are, are issues where Republicans and Democrats tend to draw a line in the sand. And so I think that we're probably going to see some of that. I also don't think we can compare the Texas legislature to what we're seeing in D.C., right, or what we saw uh, in, in, in D.C. over the last few weeks. But again, it is reflective of the population of Texas and the same divisions that we have as people with our neighbors. We're also going to see them in the legislature. The back to school analogy was a good one. Tell us a little bit more about our lawmakers. How are things split right now between the parties? And are there any names people should keep an ear 
out for this session? Sure. So, um, you know, in the Texas House, we have uh, 64 Democrats and 83 Republicans. That That's one Democrat less than what we had last year. Again, that means that Republicans have the majority and that at times they might not necessarily need a lot of the Democratic help to, to pass legislation. In terms of names that we should be looking at in in the Texas House, uh, I think I need to give a shout out to the Texas Tribune who did a really good story about the leader for the House Democrats. His name is Representative Trey Martinez Fisher. And the colleagues at the Texas Tribune have reported that he played a key role in the quorum break when the Democrats left the state. And it's really good at figuring out ways to defeat Republican bills, either through technicalities or through process-related issues. And so that's someone that I'm going to be paying attention to. Of course, in the Senate, I think we are going to be paying attention to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. He's a very powerful man in that position. And and truly, he could be either a great ally to Governor Al Abbott and his priorities, or he could be an obstacle to the governor's priorities. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he plays his role and how he uses his his power to influence uh, state politics as a whole. I want to tell listeners a little more about our local lawmakers. The Lubbock area is represented by Charles Perry in the Senate. Dustin Burroughs and Carl Tepper are in the House of Representatives. This will be Tepper's first legislative session, but he's been involved in politics for decades. All of Lubbock's lawmakers are Republicans. We've spent most of this show talking about lawmakers, but what about their constituents? Do the priorities of lawmakers this session align with what Texans want? Great question. I I think that arguably some of these priorities do align with uh, what constituents want. Others might not. Listen, I I think that when you talk about property tax relief, uh, truly benefits a lot of folks in the state. It would benefit a lot of folks in the state. But also, it leaves in a limbo or, or it leaves untouched the folks who are renting. And I'm thinking about folks in the bigger cities like Austin, Houston, Dallas, where, you know, the rent uh, has increased and and they've been struggling to to pay for, for rent. So arguably this property tax relief would benefit the homeowner, right? The landlord, but it would not benefit necessarily the big number of folks that we have in the in the state who are renting. I also think that when we talk about funding public education, we've heard from some groups who have said they would like the state to use the surplus to increase the, the basic allotment, which is the per pupil funding. Some experts have said that increasing this basic allotment would provide an automatic pay increase to nurses, counselors, librarians, and teachers. So that's something arguably a lot of folks would like to see, but that's not part of the priorities. Increasing the basic allotment is not part of the priorities for the Republicans at this point. So so I, I guess it, it depends, right? Again, I'm not sure if it represents or if they align with the priorities of the constituents, but I do think that the Republicans did run under this, you know, uh, on this policy proposals. And so the voters knew that this was something they were going to push for. Sergio Martinez Beltran is with NPR's Texas Newsroom. The Texas legislative session will continue through May. We'll have coverage right here on 89.1 FM and at ttupublicmedia.org. Until next time, thanks for listening in.